This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. So we finally had a topic that was sent in to us by a viewer, Meg. How exciting. Woohoo. Yeah, that's how excited I was too when this amazing individual was this person potentially on one of the other shows that I do. Yeah, but it still counts because it's in a different area too, which is pretty cool. We, we've done a lot of episodes that are in New York and since we're an international show because we did one in Canada, we're going a little farther west and we're going to Tejas. Cool. That's really Texas. <laughs> I wanted to see if you were like, oh, you're already also saying Ben. I'm going to say a lot of names. And unfortunately, in this crazy story, there is going to be a lot of names. Probably going to pronounce them wrong. But either way. And if the article and it wasn't written really well, producer Zach didn't get to it. And I'm sorry. It was me. I did it. I, I spent a lot of time trying to write this up. So hopefully I did it well. And uh, Meg didn't really have time to read through it. So this could be interesting. Right? Skimmed. Skimmed. You're a skimmer. <laughs> Hey, very useful tool in the pool industry. So, all right. So again, there's a lot of names in this story and it's very intense. It's a little, even mind boggling might be the word that we're talking about. And uh, should we tell them before or after the intro what we're talking about? After. After. Okay. We're going to do the intro. You ready for it? You, yeah. you, you count. You, you let me know when. Three, two, one. So what are we talking about, Meg? Texas. Texas. They say everything is bigger in Texas, and apparently the killing fields are pretty big out there. Hopefully it's just the one killing field, but we're talking about the Texas killing field. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have heard about this now because it was actually something that was put out on Netflix in 2022. And there is a lot of books, a lot of shows, a lot of podcasts, and a lot of news articles out there that have talked about this. But maybe you haven't. And again, the, the person that sent this in said, hey, I'd love your take on this. And we're not investigators. We're not journalists. But we wanted to kind of put our Your Town take on it with our Your Town, Your Story. So let's do the thing, I think, right? Mm-hmm. You ready to jump into this? Jump away. All right. So you're probably thinking, what is a Texas killing field? Well, I'm pretty sure by the name that most people can probably put two and six together and know that it's, you know, well, maybe in Texas they think it's seven, but it's eight. So the Texas killing field is kind of a term or a title that's used when they were talking about an area on Interstate 45 in Texas. Interstate 45 is a little bit unique in itself, also known as the I-45. It's a major interstate highway that's located entirely within the state of Texas. And you're going, oh, okay. Texas is pretty big. But it turns out that this interstate isn't overly huge. While most interstates as well and their um, their routes have numbers uh, or routes that end in the number five are usually cross-country north-south routes. I-45 is a short one, like I mentioned. And the entire thing is located within the state of Texas. What's even uh, a little bit crazier, it has the shortest length of all interstates that end in a five. It actually connects the cities Dallas and Houston. Then it continues to go southeast from Houston to Galveston over the Galveston Causeway to the Gulf of Mexico. 
you're probably thinking, why did I do all this? Well, we're going to continue to hopefully paint the picture of this very unique and, and, and devastating highway. So let's kick it back. Not super late in history. We've done a lot of stuff in the 1800s, but this one's going to be the early 1970s. More than 30 bodies get found in the Texas killing fields. 30 more than them. That's and a lot. what's even crazier, it's all found within 25 acres of land in League City, Texas, which is a uh, League City, Texas is, is right outside of Houston. And according to a 2020 census, had a population of 112,129 people. So not a little place, but you know, it's, it's a good size. And League City was actually settled at the former site of the Karankawa Indian Village. I think I said that right. Sounded good. Practice. Three families, the Butlers, the Coerts, and the Perkinses. Yes. Are considered to be the actual founding families of the city. So if you have one of those names, you should hit us up and we'll do a little bit of some research and add to this League City. Uh, the Winfield family, apparently recently, has been acknowledged as a founding family as well by the city government. League City, despite its past, is the third largest voting anchorage in the U.S. It was actually recognized as the top 10 smartest cities in Texas. Just Texas, though, not the U.S. They're, they're not that smart. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas, apparently, even their brains. But uh, it seems to be a pretty nice place. Thankfully, now it's it, it's turned around a little bit. But then again, more than 30 bodies would have loved to grow old in this pretty nice, very smart place. But they were not able to, because they were obviously found in the Texas killing fields. Most of these bodies, unfortunately, were young girls or young women. And there are many other young girls who have disappeared from this area and are still missing the age range of these and this is just i hate this is 12 to 25 years 12 to 25 kids and uh what's even crazier is i think again we're we're not uh investigators we're, we're not like into this but there was a lot of shared similar physical features and hairstyles which I, I do believe when you have serial killers a lot of them kind of have the same patterns mm-hmm. potentially the same kind of you know what's the word I'm looking for uh, suspects yeah that they that, that tend to kind of gravitate to but uh, yeah a lot of the a lot of the theme uh, of, of victims victims yeah yeah <laughs> suspects was the other. I, I knew that wasn't right that's why I need you here but uh, what's even more crazy to me is that uh, of these murders and missing cases most of them weren't solved despite they had all of the state, the local, and even the FBI was involved trying to do this. And you're going, oh, I can do this. We're going to continue to add to why there was a couple of things, in our opinion, again, doing our own research, which added to so many of these kind of cold cases um, that were going there. So the location of the Texas killing fields has been described by many different play, uh, by de- many different people that this is um, the perfect place to kill somebody. And if, especially if you wanted to get away with it, many people have gone to the fields, you know, for research, for pictures, for everything, because it's mm-hmm. a, it's a place and you go to the fields, you see these oil refineries in the background, but you can yell, you can scream, you can run. Nobody's going to hear you and there's nowhere to run to. And what was kind of wild then and a little bit now still, I-45 kind of attracted a different kind of person. 
they started to get these drifters. They started to get construction workers. They started to get ex-convicts. They started to get addicts. Just a, just kind of a, a an interesting place to have a whole bunch of you know these kind of people. And not only kind of did the murders kind of make their way there, but the inability to find these murders was also a thing because yes, I forty five wasn't a long stretch. But they were able to get there from the Gulf of Mexico into populated areas, into the suburban areas, and just not a lot going on in some of these areas. But in our opinion, or one thing that I was kind of asking myself when I was doing this research is like, why did everything kind of go crazy, not only with the murders, but in this time frame in the 70s? And it's pretty simple. It's one short word, oil. And some people even say that money is the root of all evil. And the Houston area was absolutely booming with money and then came the evil and in some of the research and i was like what happened in the 70s well there was an oil crisis in 1973 which was also referred to as the arab oil embargo and without going kind of too nerdy into this actual history of the arab uh, arab oil embargo it was when the oil prices rose 300 percent 300 percent for barrel for everything else and so guess what where's there a lot of oil houston all right not only obviously but just to let you know texas itself not just the houston area but texas itself produced 1.8 billion barrels of oil in 2022 just going to give that some reference i couldn't find a lot of numbers from back then the next closest place was new mexico with 574 million barrels so i mean that's a lot of oil in Texas, and as we mentioned earlier, Meg, what is there a lot of even near the Texas killing fields? Refineries. Mm. So, I mean, that kind of explains, and then you, you know, you're getting these people that uh, that need a job, that need all this, and oil it is. So, in the 70s, just to put this in per- perspective, the area had 670,000 jobs that were added, 24 billion dollars put into the banks so where did these people come from what i believe in doing a little bit of research was a lot of these people came from the rust belt or the region in the u.s that had industrial decline which actually kind of started in the 50s but really peaked in the 70s and 80s so you're going to have the areas that are the rust belt that are like the western new york ohio kind of like a, a lot of mid to northeast areas that all the industry, you know, like look at Pittsburgh itself, you know, Pittsburgh is an area that was booming with industry, steel town, and they all start to shut down. People need a place to go and why not go where oil rigs and refineries pay really well. There's no snow. You know what I mean? You get a chance to start over. So they said, Hey, you know, let's, let's hit this, uh, let's hit this area. So many people with little money, criminal records, just looking for a new place to make some money. Murders in the area, check this out, went from 820 murders in the 50s to almost 2,300 in the 70s. They went from 15,000 violent crimes to 69,000 violent crimes. And obviously amongst these murders and violent crimes, more than 30 of them happened within just 25 acres in the Texas killing fields. So many crimes. As we mentioned earlier, why was I saying this? Because there's so many crimes, 69,000 thousand violent crimes and that's not you know the the larceny the robbery the car thefts and everything else state local police are just overwhelmed and they have the inability to kind of 
get the suspects, get these convictions, because there's just only so much these Texas Rangers and everybody else could do, you know? This is Take on the World with Johnny and Mike. And, you know, people always ask me, hey, you got a podcast? What's it about? Uh, I don't know. You ever want to uh, cut your fingers off or learn about a sharp knife? <laughs> we could tell you that. <laughs> How about uh, murder mysteries or uh, hauntings or any kind of fringe subject? Anything you could think of. We take on everything because we take on the world. Now you go take on the world. Hmm. Isn't that a crazy spike within two decades? Yeah. It's unreal. Uh, so, so speaking of that, there was only four suspects and four convictions in this entire 20, uh, over 30 murders and missing people. The first suspect was Michael Lloyd Self. He was a convicted sex offender and a gas station operator. He confessed to a couple of the murders, but within months, he then retracted his confessions, claiming that he had been tortured into confessing that the interrogations, they were actually suffocating him with a plastic bag, burning him with cigarettes, and actually burning him with the radiators in there. And then he was actually being assaulted by the police chief, Don Morris. So that was by the interrogators? Yeah, that's so this this was kind of his story. This was what he was saying. He was saying that he confessed at the time because he was being tortured and he just thought it would be easier to confess. Obviously, there's two sides to every story. But I mean, it's and it's one of those things not to get too into it. You see on a lot of different series and specials and documentaries and everything where the cops in those days would do some very intense interrogating. You know what I mean? It's what they knew and potentially what they were trained and maybe even happens and some stuff around here. And uh, I, I'm not a cop, nor have I been through one. So I don't. I've seen that a lot, too, especially like they use sleep deprivation. Yes. As a big one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, and. But uh, nevertheless, on September 18th, 1974, Self was convicted of killing um, one of the uh, people, Shaw, and received life in prison, despite the fact that his confessions showed great discrepancies concerning the victims, clothing, the date of the murders, the locations of the bodies, how they were killed, and various other details. They still convicted him, even though it just didn't make sense but and, and i'd have to imagine and this is just my take on it you you can agree or disagree whether you're listening or meg in the studio sometimes the technology obviously isn't there sometimes for the kind of what's that ease of mind peace of mind for the public right they have somebody behind bars that could potentially do it maybe it kind of alleviates some of the pressure but i don't know it's one of those things you know was it the right guy was it somebody that potentially did it Apparently, but either way, they're in jail. They were convicted, even though things didn't quite add up. But then you have Edward Harold Bell, the second suspect, been arrested 12 times for very sick act towards children. He was a silent partner at a surf shop and knew some of the victims. In 1978, Bell was performing a very lewd act on the street in front of a group of teenage girls and then was confronted by an ex-Marine. I'm just going to say Larry. Larry then removed the keys of the vehicle and refused to let Bell go until the cops showed up. But before that happened, Bell actually shoots and kills Larry. But this is even crazier. He then posted Bell, fled the U.S., and for over two decades could not be found. He was then arrested for only the murder of Larry 
And then while he was in jail, he confessed to five murders in 1971, six more between 1974 and 1977. He gave the names, the details. He was never charged with those murders. And this is while he was out on bail? No, so, so he was in bail. They found him over 20 years later while he was in jail. He then confessed to 11 murders. A third, potentially, of the murders gave the names, all of the details. But he never got charged for any of those murders. Hmm. He was a suspect, but he was never charged. And he ended up passing away in 2019. Isn't that wild? Again, not a lawyer. Not I don't know the law very well. I just, when some of the pieces of the puzzle, and again, this was a ton of just different articles and some stuff that we did pull them from that we'll source a little bit. That just is wild to me. Seems to always be so many holes. <laughs> right? I mean, if it, and if it wasn't for him killing an innocent bystander that was sticking up for a group of teenage girls from this sick, sick individual, he wouldn't have ever gone to jail. Ever. Then we have Mark Stalling, suspect number three. He was a convicted kidnapper who confessed to killing a girl in 1991 while he was serving a life sentence. His testimony showed great consistency with the details of the crime. He worked near the homes and even um, like right near the homes of some of these missing girls. But guess what? He wasn't charged either. He wasn't. He, he admitted to doing it, knew the girls, knew some details, and still was never charged. And you have suspect number four, Clyde Edwin Hedrick. He had a criminal record, trespassing, theft, abusive corpse, attempted arson, possession of marijuana, driving while intoxicated, and sexual assault. He made a jailhouse confession. There seems to be a common theme here for two of the murders. He serves time in jail for the conviction of one of the murders in 1984 and then was released in 2021. It was very, very controversial with him being released and families and, and stuff like that. And it's just unbelievable. And there was three other convictions in a lot of these. And I, I think we see these in a lot of kind of cold cases. And especially in this instance here with the evolving technology, they were able to, with a little bit of luck and a lot of just what I would imagine tiresome investigation, they were able to get DNA and link people to the murders that happened years and years ago that they committed. I mean, we, we've seen that in a couple of shows and it's just, it's just crazy how, how, how far technology has come, especially with the DNA where they're able to, you know, find something from, you know, a, a used cigarette to, you know, a, a cup that had a drink or something like that and then tie it to DNA that was saved back in the day. Mm -hmm. But uh, they would all serve all uh, the other three convictions not even going to say their name, but they ended up all serving time in uh, in prison, and then they would die in jail. But um, I thought it would, you know, potentially uh, not do some justice, but I, I feel like we should at least say the names of the victims. They're all over the internet, and, uh, you know, at least get their names out there. Some of these are not, you know what I mean, still cold cases. Some of them haven't been solved. Maybe some people will know some stuff by listening. I doubt that, but we have seen... We've seen some shows where a podcast, you know, mentions some names, the right person hears it, and then they're able to kind of bring this person potentially down. And uh, I just couldn't imagine being these families. You know what I mean? The, the losing a losing a child, losing uh, you know a sister, a cousin, uh, whatever it may be. It just I, I just couldn't imagine the tragedy of this. And 
in that Netflix series, there there is a, a definitely a father and a couple other parents that just continue to fight every single day to try to come up with some answers. You know, when the police just didn't have time or information, they they really did, and it's just crazy. Oh man, I'm gonna say so many of these names wrong. I, I do apologize, but um, first one, Colette Wilson, 13 years old, Brenda Jones, 14. Rhonda Johnson, who was 14. Sharon Shaw, 13. Gloria Gonzalez, 19. Allison Craven, 12. Debbie Ackerman, Maria Johnson, who are both 15. Kimberly Pitchford, 16. Brooks Bracewell, 12. Georgia, here, 14. Susie Bowers, 12. Tina Klaus, 17. Um, And then Klaus Harold Klaus Jr., 20. Michelle Garvey, 15. Susan Eads, 20. Heidi Villarreal Fay, 25. Sandra Ramber, 14. Laura Miller, 16. Ellen Ray Simpson Beeson, 29. Seven year old Michelle Thomas. Audrey Cook, 30. Shelly Sykes, 19. Susan Rit- uh, Richardson, 22. Donna Prudhomme, 34. Lynette Bibbs, 14. Tamara Fisher, 15. Crystal Baker, 13. Laura Smither, 12. Kelly Cox, 20. Jessica Kane, 17. Tut Harriman, 57. Sarah Lewis Trusty, 23. Teresa Vanagas, 16. Sorry if I did pronounce them wrong. But again, these were from a lot of sources, the names of bodies that were found in the Texas killing field and again there's many people have different theories about what happened throughout the decades and where you may never know the truth horrible crimes committed by horrible people we always try to i guess leave you with a quote unless you have something else meg you want to add kind of this just terrible story they're just so young it's so crazy and and what's even more crazy to me is that there's so many other people that are there's so many other missing females in those ages that were you know if they were murdered they weren't put in those fields they weren't found in those fields and just never they're still out there missing and it's just i I just couldn't imagine just couldn't imagine it just seems like it was a recipe for disaster you know you have a whole bunch of people looking for work a whole bunch of money lots and lots of jobs and growth and just a recipe for disaster in this in this area and i feel like there's a lot of other terrible stories like this so if you guys want us to cover one put our take on it hopefully we did this story some justice it was something a little bit different and again i'm, I'm not a writer zach's the writer he just uh this was something that uh like i said it was submitted i wanted to jump on this because we don't get a lot of submitted stories or topics and i really wanted to try to do this some justice so if you're listening out there burly hopefully you enjoyed this so, um leave it uh, the sources we'll do the sources and we'll leave you guys with the quote sources disastercenter.com so much Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. Macrotrends.net. USAToday.com. HoustonPublicMedia.org where the sources that we use to come up with this information. This one, I just wanted to kind of say... Hello, to kind of listeners, put this and welcome this to Quad the Pro Quo. Fathers, right Miller, now, you are probably was, thinking to you know, yourself, oh great, another movie podcast. Well, you know, dear listener, you would be right. His daughter, so but throw in a couple of marriages, decades-long friendships, and a shared property line, and you have just another movie podcast with a shitload of drama. 
I'd be walking Inspired away, by the iconic say, quid pro quo scene in Please Silence of the Lambs, each week one of us will pick a movie. Miller. It could Again, be kind of a childhood favorite, some kind of a classic film noir, an Academy really Award winner, on, on or a complete mm-hmm. dumpster fire that brings Terrible. joy to that person's mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. The selector's objective All right. to get us to love, we got. We'll or at the very least, not hate their pick. Story. Will our marriages, our our friendships, and our neighborhoods survive? Find out each Thursday on Quad Pro. No, we can't thank you guys enough. You're still listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.